Welcome to the David Gogo Soulbender Podcast. A journey through the blues as seen through the hazy recollections of a life on the road. Thank you for your kind support of the David Gogo Soulbender Podcast at paypal.me slash gogo guitar. With your help, we've made it to episode 50 without going broke, despite our best efforts. For this one, rather than doing the COVID-necessary thing where David does his blabbing up there in his secret underground lair on Gogo Mountain outside Nanaimo, and I put it together in the honeymoon capital of Western Canada, Victoria, he hitchhiked down to my one-room cold-water walk-up flat for a face-to-face sit-down on my couch, which is currently occupied by our beloved doggo, little Jerry Seinfeld. So, dude... What the hell have you been up to since we unleashed episode 49 on the unsuspecting populace? Um, quite a bit of things. <laughs> um, actually, I'm, we, we've got a new song that um, I, I went um, to Ontario in March, and my buddy Steve Mariner, who produced my Silver Cop album, uh, his buddy Jimmy Boskill has a studio in Coburg, Ontario. In fact, they're just moving it to a, a farmhouse. Jimmy... Um, is one of those child prodigies, and uh, he was a member of the Sheepdogs for the last couple of years. He just left the Sheepdogs yeah. uh, to pursue his own thing with his partner, and but he also, it just happens to be a member of Blue Rodeo when they tour. Yeah. So he's one of these guys like Mariner that can play any instrument, essentially, like maybe not brass or something, but... Uh, Zither. Yeah, yeah, this is their the Glockenspiel, <laughs> but um, him and Mariner are like that. Like Mariner, on my last album, Silver Cup played um, harmonica, guitar, bass, drums, piano, harmony vocals. Uh, so Jimmy's one of those guys. So, anyways, I went back there and I had uh, a you know kind of a chorus of a song and an idea of a song that I'd written with my friend Eric Johnson and. Um, so the three of us sat around, me and Jimmy and Steve, sat around the table and uh, recorded a song that we hope to release as a single. It's it's a pretty rocking tune, actually. Is it destined for the next album as well? Well, what I think I'm going to do is have the single come out this summer, and then I'm going to try to come out back out to uh, Ontario um, in probably early next year when they've got the new studio set up, and I think we're going to make an entire album out there, like a full-length album. But um, I'm excited with the new track, anyways. All right. I've got Little little Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, Jesus. Is in love with me. (laughs) He finds you delicious. I have have sweaty earlobes, apparently. Nice and salty. (laughs) Jerry, get down. Good boy. But let's talk about... Let's talk about this goddamn podcast. So... The whole idea, I think, started, it was like, I was thinking about trying to write a book or something, because I've been in the business for a while. You've been in your business for a while. And we started it just barely pre-pandemic. Yeah. But it ended up being a a darn good thing to do during the pandemic. You know, it was a a nice project to have, and and, uh, I can't believe it's, you know, this is going to be episode 50 that's a lot of episodes 
And the thing I miss is that initially, the first um, number of podcasts that we did was you and I interacting. Yeah. And then we couldn't do that because of the pandemic. And, you know, there's certain situations, like if I'm interviewing someone, that, that's a different situation. But I, I missed the interaction of you and I um, doing the thing. So it's nice to be able to do this, <laughs> especially with little Jerry Seinfeld as, our, as our, our third host. Luckily, I still have a place to live in Victoria, so we have a place to do it. So that's <laughs> exactly. extra nice. That's super extra nice. Yeah. <laughs> and what have you been doing? Uh, just doing a radio show and uh, keeping up with everything else that's going on at the same time and uh, surviving, uh, what, 32 years at the radio station now, which uh, made me think uh, I was super duper lucky the other day considering what happened with uh, bell media i was just going to say like like uh, any kind of media industry these days it's it's scary yeah it's scary stuff well radio in general i think has always been that way they try to you know they they try to do the flavor of the month or flavor of the year but yeah bell media holy noodles that was crazy i'm glad i never went to vancouver when i had the chance yeah, that's probably a good choice, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how I know uh, you took a, a pretty big gut punch when uh, when the pandemic rolled into into town, and because um, you know that's your livelihood, and your your livelihood was basically taken away. But how are things looking these days? Um, looking great. Um, you never know how the calendar is going to roll out as a musician in terms of. Uh, live shows uh this year looks great um it was it was difficult at first because even when people were allowed to go back to shows my demographic you know was a little older demographic and people were still reluctant to to go out to shows they just you know they, they they weren't sure you know is this thing really over we don't know but that being said um my summer's looking great. Um, lots of BC shows. I've got a couple. I, I think I do a couple trips out to Ontario, but besides that, it's mostly BC shows. So that, that, that's a nice way to kind of like ease back into things. And the big thing is my songwriting radar is kind of uh, churning back. You know, it's it's it's, it's happening again, uh, which is a, a funny thing. You know, because. Some people say it's inspiration versus perspiration. Like, you sh- should you get up every day and try to write a song? But, you know, there's something about inspiration, and, and that's been happening again. And so I'm glad about that because I have a few months to try to come up with a new album before I go back, as we mentioned earlier, to go to Ontario and record. But I'm looking forward to the summer shows and just rocking out because, you know, that's, yeah, that's what I've done since I was a teenager is rock out. Oot. Rock oot. Uh, what's the international gig situation like these days? That I don't know. And it's funny you should ask because I Funny was, how? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually have to get a hold of them. You know, because I used to go to Europe at least once a year, if yeah. not a couple times a year. Um, I really don't know. And since the pandemic, that's the other thing is that some of the people I work with have been in the business for a long time and they've just kind of decided not to do it anymore you know they Mm. realized 
uh, during the pandemic, wow, I can still live and not have to live with all that hassle. <laughs> but so I, I, I don't know. I'd love to get back. I mean, I, I love playing over there. You know, I've had a good history with Holland and Scandinavia. And uh, so hope, hopefully we'll get back. But that will probably, they always want to know, you know, what, what's the latest and the greatest. So probably with a new album. So I, you know, definitely not this year because they, 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 um, they book at least a year in advance. But I'm, yeah, hopefully next summer. You know, we come out with a new album and uh, and rock and roll. Hang in there, Europe. David's working on it. We're working on it, eh? Oh, <laughs> the doggies. The doggie loves you. Little Jerry Seinfeld is uh, very affectionate. I can't believe he's not chewing your face off right now because that's what he does with people that he's never met before. But uh, hey, good boy, little Jerry. He was licking my ears. Yeah. Well, he's softening them up. <laughs> What are you listening to personally these days on your record player or 8-track or cassette or whatever you have? Well, the vinyl thing has really come back in my household. We actually have three turntables in my house. So I have two. My son has one. And it's been a lot of fun um, in, in a couple of ways. Like, like when I buy new albums and he buys new albums, we listen to them on vinyl. But he's also gone back through my vinyl collection and he's on i think it's discogs or something there's a, there's a website so he looks up these albums that i have and he goes do you realize what this is worth no. you know <laughs> well no because i bought this 35 years ago mm-hmm. or whatever it was and so he's discovering a lot of music through my my collection because i you know i've been collecting records since i was five years old and it it so that's kind of fun but the latest one that I just got the other day in Nanaimo. There's a great store in Nanaimo called Fascinating Rhythm. And um, it's the Bob Dylan soundtrack to a thing that he put out during the pandemic. So so Bob put out this, you know, quote-unquote concert film uh, during the pandemic, which, you know, it wasn't actually a concert film. It was a black-and-white thing. But it's his, his um, reinterpretation of... A bunch of his back catalog with new musicians, totally new arrangements. Um, you had to subscribe to it. I think it was available for like 48 hours or something um, at the time. And I watched it and I thought it was brilliant. So now I just bought it on vinyl. And it absolutely is so brilliant because, I mean, these songs were so great when he recorded them originally. And now the reinterpretations are just fantastic. And I just was at a, a luncheon and I was speaking with Mr. David Vest about this and we were both just like such big fanboys. and the thing was there's no drums and there's no keyboards except there's an actually an accordion is that a keyboard I don't know <laughs> but um but you know a guy like that reinterpreting his own songs it just totally fascinates me but then I also just kind of I've been going back through my my vinyl collection because I I just Finally got like a, a really good turntable. I've got this Kenwood that was gifted to me by some guys, and um, they call it the rock or the brick because it's like a big slab of marble or something. Mm. So it cost me a couple dollars to get it fixed up, but it's a humdinger and a real mood swinger. I'm jealous. <laughs> I've, I've been trying to write a book for about seven years, and I keep... Uh, reading uh, things that say, hey, if you want to be a writer, you better read a ton of stuff. Does that apply to musicians as well? 
If you want to be a musician, you better listen to a ton of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's what I do is, is you know, I, I, I do read. I, I, and I, I've learned how to do that. <laughs> I, I've learned how to read. No, I love... You have I lo- someone read them to you? <laughs> <laughs> that used to be a treat. No, I, I, I love reading. But most, of my, the, most books I read are about, you know, musician biographies or autobiographies. But yeah, no listening. I'm always, I'm always listening, and I'm always fascinated. And it's, it's not like it's just something in the background, you know. Like I'm always picking up, you know, what is that guitar player doing? What's that keyboard player doing? You know, a certain lyrical catch me. And yeah, so absolutely, I'm, I'm listening all the time. And 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 that's that's a real library in itself. And but the funny thing about this podcast it was the kind of the the, the reason that. I was interested in starting to do it because I need to write a book. Um, I've been very fortunate in my career to hang out with so many fascinating people and even, you know, sit in with them, whether it's opening shows for fascinating artists or, or, or actually being invited to play with them and occasionally record with them. And so I think the thing with the, the podcast was for you and I to get together and jog my memory to think about, you know, all 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 the, the these wonderful experiences, so I got to start doing that. I got to start jotting down um, th- the memories, and I've talked to a couple of musician friends that have written books. One is um, Miles Goodwin, him of the April Wine. Mm-hmm. Miles was in the position. I th- I think his his book he actually had a ghostwriter, not a ghostwriter, but a, you know, an associate that would wrote the other guy was greg godovitz the great Gatto, and he, oh. <laughs> yeah do you remember Gatto? yeah yeah so so he's this, he he's he's quite a rascal and but he's a pal and uh he told me he said well what you have to do is just just get down there and, and pound out some words like do 300 words a day or yeah. you know you know just just start don't worry about the editing don't worry about um anything just get it down but the big thing is, is is try to jog the memory. So that's the nice thing about this podcast. You know, we've we've had episodes where I talk about my experiences with with, with Stevie Ray Vaughan, my experiences with BB King. You know, back and forth, back and forth. You know, and 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 sometimes you forget some of these things, which just sounds silly, but you just do. So it's nice to kind of you know you know bring them bring that me- those memories back. What's your call on the artificial intelligence in music firestorm that's going on right now? That's a weird one. I mean, I had someone contact me the other day that McCartney was talking about bringing out the last Beatles track. Yeah. The last Beatles track. But, you know, but from what I kind of understand, they weren't trying to create anything new. They were just using the technology to make it technically sound better they're pulling john's voice by itself off a cassette and then he's going to use that to do the new old song or new last song or whatever yeah so i think it was more of a technical issue yeah which i'm fine with like if, if you just have like 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 a low-grade recording of john lennon singing a song well of course you'd want to make it sound as good as you can to try to take something and make you know make it sound like John Lennon 
that's a whole different thing, you know, like yeah. that, that. I don't like that. But I, I like what he's doing there. But the AI thing, well, it, it's, it, it sucks in so many ways. If it's taken, if it's taken to be evil, you know, yeah. like like I saw something recently where they like they actually had someone do a a morning DJ AI. Well, I don't think you'd be a fan of that, would you? Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I can understand if it's just to improve um, the technological part of it. Um, but it's scary too. It's scary for oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean. I, I like to keep it real, you know? Yeah. Uh-oh, the lovely woman's home. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, where's your car? I thought you guys were done. Sorry. No, no, no worries. Welcome. Hello. I like your hat. Thank you. I try to blend in. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've seen the pictures. Oh, thank you. I didn't know you'd still be here. Sorry. Well, I got here a little late, yeah. Would you like one? I would love one. In a mug? I'm, I'm a simple man with simple needs. <laughs> That's not what I hear. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so recently, Billie Eilish said if her fans wanted to do a song using an AI version of her voice and she liked it, she'd put it out there and s- split the income, I guess, with whoever did it. What do you think of that? Well, that, 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 speaking of the Beatles, that was the old question. I remember years ago watching a Beatles uh, press interview when they were young guys and someone said how do you, how do you explain your success and John, John Lennon said if I if I could explain our success you know we'd become managers and just create another band and put them out in the road mm. you know so maybe that's a similar thought I personally um, you know art is art but you know it's, it's may, may, maybe music's got to the point where there's so much processing in in the recording and there's so much auto-tune that it isn't really, um, maybe it wouldn't matter. But that's not the kind of music I play. You know, the kind of music I play, we, 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 it's, 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 you know, a group of people in a room and, and we're, we're not trying to mask anything, you know. We're, we're not, we don't do auto-tune. We don't do, you know, there's certain editing and that. But, but maybe some of the modern artists, that may, maybe they don't care. I don't know. What's your favorite episode on the podcast so far out of the 50 we've done so far? Well, it's difficult for me to pick a favorite one because, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I, I sure enjoyed when you and I had the interaction. Um, we, you know, we tried to keep that up during the podcast or sorry, during the podcast, during the pandemic. Um <laughs> <laughs> but the COVID nineteen podcast, the COVID nineteen podcast. But you know, one of my favorites was with Gene Carr, who's a friend of mine who was an ex NHL player. So it was a rare time where we kind of turned away from the music business, although it did involve a lot of music business stuff. Um, and Gene was an interesting guy, you know. He he played his major years were with the Los Angeles Kings in the seventies, but his best friend was um, Glenn Fry from the Eagles, and so that that was kind of that was one of the podcast episodes I played for some of my buddies when we were on the road uh, traveling. I said, you know, not to blow my own horn, but you know, check out my podcast, and uh, <laughs> and uh, that that was one of my favorites, but. A lot of them are just fun just to, you know, have the recollections, you know, like, you know, me hanging out with Stevie Ray Vaughan, me hanging out with Buddy Guy, me hanging out with B.B. King or whatever. Um, 
so so there's many, but I I remember the one with Gino kind of stuck out. So anybody uh, who has a bit of talent these days can probably do an album in their bedroom, maybe uh, not a highly polished one, but uh, they have done them that way, and they've got them out on radio and sold a lot of them. Uh, where do you see that going these days, and is it still viable to to do your album or your uh, your music the quote old fashioned way? Well, there's some people with talent. There's a lot of people without talent that still put records out. <laughs> and I think that's, that's, that, that's been a big part of it. it. That's made, that's kind of lowered the value of music. Because anyone can go and make an album now. Back in the old days, you had to have a certain amount of money because you had to go to a studio. And it was an investment. And sure, I mean, I'm not saying every record that was made in the old days was great. I mean, there's a lot of shitty ones. Anyone can, you know, get some money somehow. But I think that things, you know, like the market was just flooded and was hard to tell what's good, what's not good. Anyone can make a record. Um, the problem now is how do you monetize that? How do you make your money back? You know, it costs a certain amount to make a good album. If people expect your album to be free, or they just download it for free, or it's you know streaming or whatever, how how do you do that? And I had a funny thing. I think it was um, a couple of years ago when I was making my uh, my latest album. I had a phone call from of all people, uh, Miles Goodwin, him of the April Wines. Him of the April Wines. Yeah, <laughs> who's a great guy, and I, I guessed it on uh, one of his blues albums. But he just said, you know, I was on your Facebook site and I saw that you're recording a new album. He goes, what are we writing for? What are we, you know, what are we doing this for? And I thought, well, great sage, Miles Goodwin. <laughs> I should be asking you that question, not me, you know. <laughs> I mean, he was a guy that's had hits and hits and hits and hits, you know. Um, but it's a serious question. It's how do you monetize that? I think that with my demographic when I play shows, I have to be the salesman now. I have to be the record store. So if I have CDs, which that's another thing, like do we even press CDs anymore? I mean, rental cars and stuff don't even have a CD player. I haven't seen a CD in 10 years. Yeah. So that that's a shitty thing in certain ways. Um, I mean, I'm glad that vinyl's back and vinyl's cool, but the practicality is... Like, like in the old days, say I was going to fly to, to um, Ontario next weekend and do three shows. I could cram 60 CDs in my guitar case and my suitcase and everything, sell those CDs at the gigs and make some money and sell the CDs and, you know, you know, have some sales. You can't do that with vinyl. And also shipping. Like, like if, if I was to sell CDs off of my website or my Facebook site, you can ship it for three bucks or two bucks or whatever it is. Vinyl, it's like twelve bucks or something. Hmm. So it's it's a real dilemma, Emma. Um, it's and it's difficult because because I like albums. Um, you know, I'll be putting out another single. You know, like like during the pandemic, we put out a single just that was just a song called Christine, which just came out uh, digitally, and that was fun, and that was just you know to keep people interested in what I'm doing. I'm going to do that again. One, two, three. 
Thanks for being here for episode 50 of the David Gogo Soulbender podcast. Christine was released as a standalone single, a bit of reassurance to say, hey, not a lot has been going on with the pandemic at all, but I'm still here. And singles aren't necessarily your cup of tea. I like to make albums, and I like the feel of an album. I like the sequence of an album. And that's the other thing, too, is now digitally people just like put random play. It's not like in the old days. Like if I listen to a Beatles album, if I hear a Beatles song on the radio, I, when the song's ending, I hear the next song. That's right. Yeah. I hear the next song that's yeah. supposed to be on Rubber Soul or whatever. So the whole the whole art is changing. So that kind of is concerning to me. But I guess we just have to adapt with the times and try to figure it out. The uh, album thing is is an experience and i wonder if um certain segments of the listening audience have the attention span to enjoy the album experience these days and maybe maybe your demographic uh, a lot of your demographic would but maybe some of the others i agree not so much i agree i absolutely agree with that because back in the old days when we listened to an album especially a vinyl album you'd be looking at the artwork You'd be reading the liner notes. It was an experience. Yeah. And now everything is just sound bites. You know, it's like 30 seconds of this, 20 seconds of that, five seconds. You know, the, the TikTok thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's certain things that are entertaining about that, but I hate to lose the art, is, I think is the main thing for me. <laughs> We've got little, little Jerry Seinfeld here licking my, licking my ears. Look at my nose now. Jerry. Uh, in case you're wondering, little Jerry Seinfeld is not a, not a rooster. <laughs> <laughs> He's a uh, chihuahua and Jack Russell and terrier and beagle and who knows what else. It's not fusilli, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> so our good friend Mike Duff sent me a, a, a poster for an upcoming show of yours in, I think, uh, Penticton. Okay. At the Dream Cafe? Yes, yes. Six-time Juno winner David Gogo <laughs> is... I can't believe you've hidden the fact from us that you've won six Junos. I mean, how do you, how do you get away with that? Well, it's actually six nominations, <laughs> and I might... So, five losses, one disqualification. You actually had one for a while, for 10 minutes, and then they took it away, I think. No, they actually disqualified me before I won. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so it's funny. People, um, you know, you, you, you try to send out your, your promo kit, and people misread things, I guess. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've actually been nominated six times. It's five losses, one disqualification. So I'm a veteran. <laughs> Of losing Junos, but I don't know how many people I know have actually been disqualified, and it, it was it was crazy. It was steroids, quite frankly. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're claiming you have six Junos and you don't, I mean, you could uh, be a United States senator. So go for it. That exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I got to tell you, like, to go to the ceremonies that many times, and there's you know, there's a couple times I realized, okay, I'm just you know. This is the old thing. Just great to be nominated. Yeah. But there's been a couple times where I thought, I think I'm going to win this fucker. And, uh, but, you know, that's a lot of times to sit there with an uncomfortable grin on your face and applaud for the other person. I think the, I think the disqualification was my favorite because I knew I couldn't win. <laughs> 
I see a lot of people dragging the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame saying, yeah, it's irrelevant, blah, 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 blah. Why is this person in there? Why yeah. is that other person not in there? What do you think of the uh, the equivalent in the Canadian industry, like the Junos? Uh, relevant? Not relevant? I think the Junos have been pretty good, actually. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, to me, is a fucking joke. Um, I was very happy to see Link Ray finally being inducted this year. I've been an advocate to get him in. But the fact that Paul Rogers is not in the Rock and Roll Hall Bizarre. of Fame. That, that's ridiculous yeah. to me. That's just ridiculous. You know, and you can talk, you know, people talk about the genres. You know, there's a lot of rap groups and everything else that have been inducted. A lot of people that have only been active in the music business for maybe the last 20 to 30 years. The fact that Paul Rogers is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a travesty. He's known as The Voice. It's a Randy travesty. <laughs> Randy travesty. He's probably in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> probably. Probably. You know, but it, it's it's ridiculous. But, you know, I, I think the Junos, I, I don't have anything against the Junos. I think the Junos um, have been very, uh, very good. And, and um, you know, it's, it's a Canadian thing. You know, I... I Seriously, I've I've had a great time. Every time I've been nominated, I I, I always attend, and um, I've had some great times. I just I haven't I haven't hit the I haven't hit the magical number or whatever it is, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's always great. And 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 the funny thing was, the the year I was um, disqualified, we kind of kicked up a bit of dust about that, and um, I actually probably got better publicity by being disqualified than I would have if, I, if I'd won. Because the the, cat, the way the categories work, like the actual TV broadcast for the Junos um, is like the same 10 categories and the same people. The night before is a big gala dinner, and that's when all the technical awards, blues, jazz, classical, all that stuff. You know, that, that that's the big party. But by us kicking up the dust, I mean... I was mentioned on the National. Ooh. There's Peter Mansbridge, Ooh. you know, and, and um, I think, you know, there's all sorts of things. It, it got a lot of publicity. So I kind of thought we might have pissed them off that I'd never get, a, you know, nominated again because we had, you know, pointed out it was it was their fuck up, basically. So, um, but no, I've, I've had, I think, two or three nominations since and lost and lost. Maybe it's, maybe that's their little game. They'll keep nominating me and making me lose and slowly drive me insane. When you said, uh, I think maybe I pissed them off and therefore wouldn't get nominated again, that's a bit chilling because shouldn't they be impartial about stuff like that? Yes, but you never know. Mm. You never know. You know, but like I said, I I have no problem with the Junos. It's you know, I th I think that it's 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 been a cool thing over the years, and um, it's always a fun event, and it's a it's a uniquely Canadian event. Um, it's it's fun. I got to meet Anvil. <laughs> Did you get to meet Gatto? Oh, I met Gatto, and yeah, no, but you know, you just see certain people like Ron Sexsmith is another guy yeah. that I first met at the Junos, and he worked kind of Twitter. The buddies. China Doll. Yeah, yeah. So there's all sorts of it's all sorts of you know, it's it's just it's a funny thing, it's a silly thing, but it's nice. When you win a Juno, what does that do for you and your and or your career? Well, my friend Ken Ham used his Juno award as. Um, Something to keep his door open during the summer. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, it's kind of like back in the days when we used to have strippers. God, I miss them. <laughs> but but it'd be like you know you know Miss Big Boobs BC or something. You know, it's 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 something to put on your resume, mm. something to put on your website. Um, but you know, I don't want to sound too, too callous. I mean, I've never won one, so I how would I know? <laughs> but um, I I think it's just you know it's, it's another feather in your cap, and it's it's just, it's nice to get the acknowledgement. I think. At the very least, it's not going to hurt you. No, no, not at all. Okay, yeah, and that's why, like you say, the Dream Cafe—they call me a six-time Juno winner. <laughs> well, shit, no wonder the the show is sold out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to break it to them at the gig, I guess. <laughs> Jerry, hey, he's a good guard dog. I'd like to ask you about the um, the biggest raging debate that's going on right now in Victoria, and that is uh, what should they replace the Pacific Buffet on the BC ferries with? Well, you know, here's the funny thing is I'm an Nanaimo boy, so we never got the goddamn buffet. Oh, really? No, no. What? Yeah. I still miss the sunshine breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. It was served with toast points. <laughs> toast points. <laughs> Which means they weren't. They couldn't even give you a full piece of toast. Were they way up firm and high? <laughs> you know, the other funny thing, I, I remember years ago, I, I actually kind of was hitting on the girl at the snack bar on BC Ferries. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? But the, the thing was, there was a sign, and it said, May we suggest. So it's, it's big letters. May we suggest. I remember that. And then yeah. it said, Hot dog. Oh, <laughs> It was the weirdest thing. Like, not may we suggest a hot dog or may we suggest hot dogs. It was may we suggest oh the Led Zeppelin song certainly. Yeah, may we suggest hot dog. <laughs> and so I, I I remember there was this old article in uh, in a National Lampoon magazine, and there was this guy, uh, some kind of professor. It was. Umwelt, fathom the concept. So this reminded me of that. But like, may we suggest hot dog. So I went up, and there's this girl there, and, and I, I said, are you the one that suggests a hot dog? <laughs> and we actually st- struck up kind of a friendship. Um, so yeah, so I'm not used to the Pacific bu- Buffet, I'm sorry. That's unbelievable. I, I had no idea. No, they don't serve it in Nanaimo to Vancouver. Yeah, wow. No, you elitists here in Victoria. Yeah, yeah. We're too good. Yeah. <laughs> Episode number 50. Can't believe we got here, but here we are. Fuck a luck a ding dong. What momentous David Gogo musical selection should we feature on episode fifty of the Soul Bender podcast? TM. Well, you know we've had to kind of keep it to my songs because we're worried about licensing and that. But I think we'll throw caution to the wind because no one listens to this fucking thing anyway. So why not just <laughs> um, <laughs> play the way we want? Um, I remember, uh, God, the the album, what's the album even called? I can't remember. But I remember we were, we were going to make a record, and um, I had an idea to cover a song. And I've, I've done some covers in the past. I've covered some. Like, On most of your albums. Yeah, you know, and I, I try to bring a blues flavor to it. So, like, we did the make the, the Way You Make Me Feel, the Michael Jackson song. Which to me is 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 a blue shuffle. Mm-hmm. It just that's what it is essentially as a, as a song. Um, yeah. So every every record I try to do that, but this one was a little different. 
because it's a Depeche Mode song. But, you know, I'm of a certain age, and I remember just liking the song when I, when I was a young guy. You know, I'd be at a party or something, and, you know, even though it's kind of a synth rock thing, I was like, this is a cool song. This is pretty nifty. Um, so I wanted to record it. Uh, I, you know, I was met with a little bit of reluctance with the people I was working with, but I said, no, 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 we got, we, we have to do this. Which people? Um, record company people, management people, hmm. even the musicians. They're like, what are you talking about? Hmm. I said, well, just bear with me. Let's, let's go into the studio and, and start recording it. And, um, and we did, and it ended up being great. And we, and we had, you know, basically kind of a hit with it across Canada. You know, a lot of commercial FM stations, when they were allowed to play what they wanted to play, played it because it sounded good. And it was it was a, an interesting concept. It was a song that had been kind of semi-hit back in the day. And now all of a sudden we're bringing something new to it. And um, so that, that was good. It gave me some validation. The funniest thing was, despite all the initial kind of reluctance, we found out just before my album came out that Johnny Cash had recorded it. Right, and did Marilyn Manson? Well, eventually Marilyn Manson did. Yeah. And and I've had some people say to me that they thought Marilyn Manson might have heard my version oh. and based it on, you know. He stole it. Well, well He you, stole that song that you stole. Exactly. You couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't steal it because I already stolen it. But I, I've had that because I think that was huh. on like... Um, on a TV show or something, and someone thought it was my version, but it was actually Marilyn Manson. So it's it's just a good song. Um, but the funny thing was, I th- I thought I I hear really dirty harmonica on this song, really dirty, like blues, but blues plus. So a, a friend of mine, Jerry Barnum, I had played harmonica on a couple of my albums, and Jerry's more of a He's not that of a that, that much of a dirty harmonica player. He's more of a gentle harmonica player. But so we tricked him. We got him in the studio and we got him to, to you know to play the harmonica through this little Fender amplifier. And uh, we said, "Okay, Jerry, we just got to get some." Hey, oh, Jerry, he, he heard his name. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, get down, Mister Barnum. <laughs> so so we said to Jerry, "Okay, we we need you to play the harmonica as hard as you can." through this amplifier because we got to get these levels we got to get the sound levels technically so we just had him play the piss out of this harmonica so so we played the track and he he just blew the snot out of the harmonica and the amplifier is cranked and uh you know tricking him into saying we got to get the levels and then when he finished he goes okay you guys ready to go and we said no, <laughs> we got it we got it we got it pal and that and that's and that's the harmonica playing on the on the album and in fact you you hear at the end of the song he's just kind of hitting that one note <laughs> and that was just him like trying to get the, the levels and that's what we kept we're so sneaky does he hit you yes okay <laughs> Jesus, 
From David Gogo's Skeleton Key album, it's Personal Jesus on the Soulbender podcast. Has anyone ever covered one of your songs? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, there's a couple things on YouTube that I found one time. Some bands in Europe. Um, and I've had people ask me to cover a couple tunes. I mean, I've written a couple songs. I wrote a song with my buddy Tom Hambridge that Buddy Guy recorded. And that was one of the biggest thrills of my career, you know, to, to have a guy that I've admired my entire life, you know. I, I'll never forget it, you know, writing the song and then going out and buying the album. Buddy guys, you know, buddy, wow, you know, like that's, that's incredible. But just songs off of my records, yeah, it's great. In fact, I remember there was a band, I think they were from France, and they recorded, um, I can't remember, it was... Oh, there was one band that, that did Just Ask Jesse James, so that's one of my tunes. But they kind of do it phonetically. I think, actually, it was a Dutch band. It was a Dutch band. So it's hilarious because you can tell they don't actually speak English, but they were singing the song. <laughs> and a, and another band from France that did um, Gunslinger off my Different Views album. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's that's kind of a, a, a funny kick, you know, when you hear someone else yeah. do, do your songs. Yeah. Yeah. So it's happened a couple times, and 
But yeah, the Buddy Guy thing, I mean, that's a song that was funny because Buddy recorded it first because just Tom and I wrote it. I actually recorded it for, I, I, I ended up covering myself for the uh, Silver Cup album. Uh, we, we actually initially wrote that song for Johnny Winter. And for whatever reason, Johnny didn't record it, but Buddy did it. So it ended up being cool. But yeah, it's kind of it's it's kind of funny when you see bands do your song, and you know, it's a, it's a trip. How are you feeling about the future of you? Well, I'm excited to um, kind of get out of the post-pandemic days. It, it took a little while because uh, I think we talked about it earlier. It's just you know, people were still reluctant to go out. But the last couple shows I've done. It's great to see the people at the shows, but it also reminds me of how happy I am, you know, playing music. And, and I, I think I appreciate again how fortunate I've been to be able to make a living and, and just survive playing the music that I want to play and do what I want to do. And um, I, I did a show a couple of weeks ago in Crofton the thriving metropolis of Crofton. But it was fantastic. It was one of my my, my most favorite shows ever. Crofton Hotel? Yes, yeah. which is now known as the Osborne Bay Pub. Oh, pardon yeah. me. Yeah, exactly. But right from the get-go, from the very first note that we played, people were up dancing, and the band played fantastic, and I just had such a good time. And I think it was kind of like... Uh, uh, an affirmation or reaffirmation of like, oh yeah, right, this is why I do this. And this is why people dig it. You know, it's so cool. It's a crazy concept to say, okay, I'm going to show up in your town and play my music and you will come and you will pay and you will dance. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it's a lot to ask. You had me at you will come. <laughs> that's, a, that's a request I've made many times, but sometimes not. Um, I remember seeing you at the Crofton Hotel uh, in the long ago before times, actually. Yeah. Got a great picture of you uh, that would make a great album cover, so put in a word for me. Okay. I also saw uh, Carol Pope there. Carol As played there. As a matter of fact, I introduced her at the Crofton Hotel to a bunch of people who were probably saying, who the hell is this wow. about me and Carol Pope? Yeah. She, she, she's, she's brilliant. And she got up on stage, and the first thing she said to these people all wearing um, Prince George tuxedos and uh, baseball caps was, hi, who do I have to blow in this town to get some decent Wi-Fi? <laughs> I didn't know she blew people. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I and it went downhill from there. I, you know what? But Carol Pope is is such, um, like, in my mind, like a legend and an icebreaker in, in, in the whole, just in music and in everything. You oh, know? absolutely. Yeah, she's, she's, she's fantastic. I've... I've only met her personally a couple times, um, but the drummer uh, in the in the guy in the band that I have in Ottawa plays with her and, and is in oh. touch with her, and um, she's she's fucking fantastic. I mean, when I was a kid, when you heard High School Confidential, I mean that's that was that was crazy, man. You know, to, to hear those lyrics. Oh, and, I got in trouble for playing that on more than one radio station. Is that right? Oh yeah. yeah. But I I just love her whole her whole deal. And um, yeah, she, she's she's just one of those. 
I interviewed her actually once. I, I, I actually had a little radio show for a while, a million years ago. Really? Yeah, in what, Nanaimo. Tell and, me more. Uh, yeah, well, tell me more, tell me more. But uh, yeah, she, she she's a fascinating person. And um, and I love her music too. And I just love her whole delivery, like her vocal delivery and everything. Yeah, she's fantastic. Why do you not have... Oh, by the way, what what's Kevin Staples doing these days? I don't know. The actually. other half of Rough Trade. I, you know what? I, I think he might have passed he, away. I think oh, I think so. Boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, your radio show. Why are you no longer doing a radio show? What's wrong with you? Well, it was a weird thing. There was this was a really long time ago, and um, there used to be a studio below the Queen's Hotel in Nanaimo, a recording studio, and and we just did a little thing. But I actually interviewed. I forget who who organized it, but I interviewed um, Carol Pope. Jim Cuddy, Art Bergman, um, a bunch of other people. Yeah, it was it was just a crazy little thing. But that was like at least twenty years ago. Was that a regular radio show, or you, you just did interviews, or dropped in? Or? I can't even remember. You can't remember. I just did it. But it was interesting, and we got to hang out. It's know? good to see things from the other side of the radio versus record label. Uh, situation i think to yeah get, a, get an idea of uh, of what goes on and what it, what what has to be done and what can't be done etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah yeah and we you know we, and it was it was like also a lot of independent artists as well i got jerry seinfeld <laughs> in my ear but um i think like one time it was like kenny kenny star and like and and who was a Susie Unger leader? Like a bunch, but it was it was a, a strange eclectic group of people. Um, but occasionally we get you know more well known people. I remember Art Bergman was one of the kookiest interviews because he's so laid back, and he would take so long to answer a question. And I was no interviewer. Like I was, you know, I was probably only thirty years old at the time or something. So if he wouldn't answer right away, I'd jump into the next question. And finally, he just said, you know, you have to give me a little bit of time to answer the question. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, I, you know, I learned a bit from that. Yeah. If you, if you want to uh, do a great interview, get Randy Backman. Because you ask him a question, you go out for lunch. You come back and yeah. he's still answering the question. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. I I had a funny thing a while ago where I played a gig over in the Lower Mainland out in Dudney, and I was I was whipping, trying to whip home and make the last ferry home, and uh, Randy's radio show was on, and um, I was just about to change the channel. <laughs> I don't want to say that, but I was I was I was just like 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 trying to figure out you know. Um, what time is it or something? So I lean towards the radio, and then I hear Randy go, David Gogo. Then I look at the radio, and I'm like, is the radio talking to me? Is it what? speaking to me? <laughs> but, he, but he did a big intro and, and, and uh, talked about my, you know, me and my family and the Christmas tree farm and played oh. one of my songs. <laughs> it's, but it was kind of funny, like just reaching towards the, the button and all of a sudden Creepy. hearing your name. <laughs> and there we go with episode 50. By the way... I did some quick binging, and Rough Trade's Kevin Staples is, in fact, alive and well in Toronto. He's a film, television, and theater composer. And on the other side of the happiness scale, not long before I produced this one, little Jerry Seinfeld's cat pal, Lloyd Braun, who we thought was a boy but turned out not to be, 
had some sort of massive complication during birth and passed away before we could do anything to save her. One of her two kittens didn't make it. The other one wasn't doing well, so we took him to the SPCA and got there after they were closed. The staff helped us anyway, but they couldn't make it to the vet in time to save him. So normally, right about now, I'd be thanking you. So normally, right about now, I'd be thanking you for supporting this podcast via David's PayPal. But this time, if you're considering a donation, I'd like you to send it to the SPCA instead. With my thanks. Got a question for us? Send it to soulbenderpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Scott James. He's David Gogo. And we love you. Go Go Soul Bender podcast. To stay up to date, follow David on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>